Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. My guest today is Adam Taylor. Adam is a retired 9-11 truth activist. He used to be very active in the 9-11 truth movement, the movement that uh, advocates for a new investigation of the uh, collapses of the World Trade Center buildings on 9-11 because they think that it uh, was from something other than the impacts and the fires. They think it was some kind of controlled demolition or something else. Adam actually got into 9-11 activism very young. He started when he was just 16 years old. And he did a lot of it. He made a lot of videos and he wrote a lot of blog posts and uh, he was basically fully into it until a couple of years ago when he took a break from the movement on the advice of a uh, debunker. And after that kind of, well, he retired. His story is very interesting. Here he is, Adam. Adam, welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to meet you and great to be here. I originally contacted you like two years ago. I was looking for people to interview a few days ago and I was going through uh, various posts. And I, your name came up and I thought, oh, that sounds like a, a great guy. And so I, uh, I looked you up on Facebook and I thought I'll send you a message on Facebook. And I opened up the Facebook Messenger and there was my message to you from two years ago saying, uh, and mm -hmm. you saying like, you know, give me a nudge if, uh, you know, remind me next week or something like that. And we mm -hmm. never actually, uh, never actually got back together. But now here we are two years later. Yeah. Uh, and it was like two years ago that you wrote, uh, your, your essay, uh, why 10 years at least for me is enough, which was you kind of talking about how you were moving away from, uh, nine 11 activism. Mm. Uh, can you kind of, let's kind of start at the beginning, 9-11 uh, itself. What do you, what do you remember of the day itself? Well, um, I was 10 when it happened mm -hmm. um, and I was in school. I think like a lot of, you know, like kids all across the country, they were just, you know, going to school that day thinking it'd be a normal day. And uh, I didn't actually see any footage from that day. Um, they didn't have any TVs in the classroom. But, you know, we all kept hearing, like, whispers and rumors about it. Like, eventually it got to uh, everybody in my class that uh, they said a plane hit the Twin Towers. And in my mind, I just thought, I think like a lot of people, it was uh, maybe an accident that somebody had accidentally hit into the towers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, throughout the day, it was becoming clear that that wasn't the case. And when I got home that day, my dad kind of sat me down and explained to me what happened, that, you know, this was a terrorist attack, this wasn't an accident, this was intentional. And, you know, to my 10-year-old mind, that seemed like a completely, you know, it was totally alien to me, the idea that people could do something like that. Yeah. You know, over the years, I learned to accept that that was, you know, something people were capable of doing. Do you remember how your dad acted at the time? Like, did he seem scared or was he trying to, you know, protect you from that type of feeling, do you think? Um, I mean, thinking back, I think he was certainly shaken like everybody else, but I feel like he, you know, tried to talk to me about it in the best way that he could and try to, you know, handle it as calmly and appropriately as he could. And I think he did, honestly. Um, I, I had to kind of absorb what that day meant over a gradual amount of time. You know, I didn't take it all in at once, which I think was probably good for somebody like me at that time. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I first heard about it when I was on my way to work because I'm in California. Uh, so I just like got up and was driving to work and I turned the radio on and I thought I was listening to some kind of some kind of play on the radio, like a drama, because mm. it just seemed so so amazing. They were talking about you know, bombing Washington and things like that. And the guy sounded hysteric, the guy they were talking to. And then I uh, you know, carried on. Eventually figured it out. I called my wife and I had to, you know, I went to work and it was a very, very bizarre day. Very bizarre <clears> day for everybody. But I can only imagine being 10 years old. It must be quite different. I was about 30 something at the time. So you, uh, you say you, you kind of, you heard talk of conspiracy theories uh, after that. Did you give it much thought like between uh, now and like the, uh, when you you first saw this documentary on the History Channel, like before that though, uh, did you were you aware of like the nine eleven conspiracy theories? Yeah, um, I want to say the first time I ever heard about it was when they released the first um, images of the Pentagon strike. Mm-hmm. I think when that when they released those images, that was on the news, and I think even then there was already talk about it being a uh, a missile. And I think I remember even looking at it, thinking, well. You know, I don't think it's a missile, um, but I'll just say I certainly can't see a plane in those images. But I didn't give it much thought. And, you know, you hear just being on the Internet, you're inevitably going to hear talk about that here and there. There was talk about the towers being demolished. And at the time, I was just pretty incredulous to the whole thing. I just didn't give it much leeway. I figured, all right, maybe the government knows more about it than they're telling us, which I think is likely one way or the other, but I didn't think there was anything to these conspiracy theories. And then in late 2007, uh, like you said, I saw uh, just randomly going through TV, uh, I saw this documentary on the History Channel called 9-11 Conspiracies, Fact or Fiction. And I thought I'd give it a watch because I figured, well, all right, I've been hearing about these theories, but I never actually like looked at them and seen, you know, really what they're all about. So I'll take a look. And I, so I came at this as a total, like, outsider. I didn't have any kind of firm belief one way or the other. And the thing the documentary really did is that it really kind of opened my eyes to, first of all, the, you know, amount of suspicion there was, like, just how many people really believed this, because I didn't really know there was, like, a whole movement behind this. Um, but it also showed me just, like, how many weird anomalies people had found. Like, the scale of it was something I just didn't appreciate at the time and after the documentary was over i kind of thought this seems more serious than i thought maybe i actually should look into this um so i started looking into it Uh, i watched you know movies like loose change like people had done and i went to certain 9-11 sites uh like jim hoffman's 9-11 research site was one of the first ones Mm -hmm. i found and from there i just started you know researching it and became uh, more and more convinced the more i found would you say there was like some kind of tipping point at all? Like, was there you know one particular piece of evidence that you think really kind of pushed you over the edge? Um, I don't know if there was any one particular piece of evidence. I think a lot of it is very compelling uh, looking at it, and I know you and I will disagree on this, of course, yeah. which is fine. Um, but you know, it seemed cumulatively the evidence was you know pretty overwhelming as far as I could tell. Just looking at uh, the way the towers fell, um, a lot of the evidence for uh, 
you know, foreknowledge I looked into as well. A lot of it just seemed like cumulatively, it doesn't seem like the official narrative we've been given can possibly be true. And I'll make it clear that there's a lot of theories about 9-11 that I don't believe in. And, you know, we can go into that too. I've had to, that's been a, been a big part of what I've been done doing over the years is trying to like weed out, um, you know, the good theories from the bad theories, you know, cause there's a lot of good ones out there. There's a lot of really bad ones out there. And, you know, the problem I had and partly why I kind of retired from the truth movement is because it's all kind of mixed up and nobody seems like they've really gone through the trouble of like clearing out all the bad stuff and just focusing on the good stuff, really. Um, even in some of the m- most comprehensive investigators in the truth movement, I don't know that I've totally seen that yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something like, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I'm a kind of a debunker person. And I, I, I think that the, the official story, at least of the collapses of the, the buildings and the, the impacts of the planes and the Pentagon and, uh, and the Shanksville, uh, I, I feel that those are pretty, pretty likely to be what happened. And sure. so I'm you know, coming at it from kind of different position to you. Uh, but I still think that clearing away all these false conspiracies is you know, the ultimate goal, essentially. Like you want to try to figure out what, what is the truth, what did actually happen. And if mm-hmm. there was some some bad stuff going down on 9-11 from our own government, or if there was, even if it's just to the level of there was some incompetence or some lapses or, or you know, maybe some deliberate acts that happened uh, around that time, like all this other stuff is kind of a distraction from it. And I know you, you kind of feel that about things like, uh, you know, a cruise missile hitting the Pentagon. Or you think that's a, a uh, distraction. Yeah, any kind of, pretty much any kind of no planar theories that are out there, I, you know, think are have no basis to them. And I'm honestly, like, very sick of them. I've had lots of discussions with, uh, you know, World Trade Center no planers, Pentagon no planers. Um, and it's, it's really frustrating to somebody like me and was over the years because it makes my job so much harder because when I would talk to people about what I consider to be good evidence, some people would actually bring up stuff about like, you know, the Pentagon or, uh, no plane crashing into the towers or even in Shanksville. And so I'd have to kind of explain to them, no, no, I don't believe in that. And here's why you shouldn't either. So it's like, I have to do like double the work pretty much. So it makes my job so much harder. And that, that's the kind of stuff that really bugs me a lot. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great if everybody was on the same page, uh, or at least closer uh, you know, you're on the same page, which doesn't mean they have the exact same opinions, but they're, they're talking about the same things. If someone's talking about the planes being holograms, then they're not really going to be that interested in your, your, your evidence for, uh, I don't know, whatever remote control planes or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you watched uh, loose change. That was one of the ones you watched next. Uh, it's interesting. You said that you, you wouldn't recommend the early editions of loose change. This is this quite popular documentary here back uh, in the mid 2000s. It's had several editions since then. And the first ones were kind of had a, a whole bunch of, of, uh, of errors, but I guess, you know, people still, a lot of people mention loose change. Was it, something that influenced you a lot at the time? Well, the reason I went to that is because that was kind of the main film they focused on in the History Channel documentary. They talked about that one Mm. so much, and I thought, well, they talked about this documentary so much, I might as well go and watch it. And uh, I don't think the third edition was out yet. I think when I watched it, it was still just the second edition that was out. Um, 
And at the time, I thought it was very impressive. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in it that wasn't mentioned in the documentary, you know, stuff that they, you know, could have brought up. Um, it's just what I've learned now. Um, I wouldn't recommend the second edition because I just think there's too much in it that's, you know, it, it, it's been a constant thing for me. I'm, I tend to be very picky about which 9-11 films I recommend to people, like truth movement films, because sometimes if there's, like, stuff in it that's too much false info, I just can't do it. Um, you know, it's like if I had my way with uh, the third edition, for example, the third edition I think is, is still the best one, um, you know, because they don't really go with the idea a plane didn't hit the Pentagon. They kind of hint at it. Like if it was up to me, I would just say in the film, no, a plane most likely did hit, and we should just forget about the no plane stuff. But, you know, kind of a midway to that, I guess I'm okay with. Yeah. But yeah, Loose Change was one of the early films I saw, like a lot of people, and I've seen uh, a lot of the you know truth movement films that are pretty good. I think uh, 9/11 Press for Truth is really good. People should definitely watch that one. A lot of really good ones out there. But uh, Loose Change, at least the first and second edition, I think people can skip. I think the third and the the final coup edition that uh, was put out too, I think, uh, are both pretty good and uh, will give people some pretty good information. Yeah, I should probably watch them. I haven't. Uh, I, I saw it many, many years ago. I was probably watching something like the second or third edition. I can't remember exactly. But uh, I should probably watch it to get up to date with what people are saying. So yeah, after uh, Loose Change, you say you you kind of found several useful 9-11 websites. So uh, you mentioned three of them, 9-11 Research, uh, 9-11 Truth, and 9-11 Blogger. Uh, what, what did you get from like all these, these these websites? It was good that those were sort of the early ones I found because just like with the movies, there's a lot of very bad 9-11 Truth websites out there too. Um, in particular, Jim Hoffman's site, the his 9-11 research site, was the one I kind of found the most useful just because of the setup of it. You know, the fact that every page uh, on that site, you know, had like, footnoted references so like it had you know it sourced what it was saying so i can go check it and i I liked that i thought that was really handy and it was set up in this very like encyclopedic type way so it was easy to navigate you know it's like the presentation was very professional and that already kind of told me this seemed like this was a good resource to go to and 9-11 truth and 9-11 blogger you know kind of more activist sites but they seem to be you know pretty responsible too so Early on, it was just a matter of trying to weed out what looked like, you know, the responsible truth sites and the irresponsible ones. And there's a lot of irresponsible ones out there. And those are ones that I tend to avoid and not give any credence to. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly quite a a wide variety of websites. Uh, And then you kind of got into uh, blogging yourself at this point uh, with 911debunkers.blogspot.com. And you mm-hmm. kind of like started making posts on that. And how did, how did that come about? Yeah, um, it was actually in 2009 when Loose Change Final Coup has come out. It actually comes back to Loose Change again. Um, they announced that they were releasing this new edition of Loose Change. Uh, and I was really excited about that because uh, it looked really professionally made and I, it was going to be up to date. So I thought, oh, that's that's great. Uh, so what I started doing was, uh, going to the loose change site and going on the loose change forum from time to time. I didn't ever sign up as a poster, but I would just kind of, you know, peruse it from time to time to kind of keep up to date with what was going on. 
And on one thread that I can't find anymore, uh, somebody posted a link to this website called uh, 911debunkers.blogspot.com, which I had never heard of, but they said it was a site for you know addressing debunkers, which I was interested in. So I thought, oh, okay, let's check that out. And I was really impressed with it when I was looking through it because uh, the people there posting were uh, really taking on what debunkers were saying um, in a pretty comprehensive way. And it really impressed me. And eventually I got a hold of the main guy who ran it, uh, my friend now, John Michael Talbot. And I've been making like just little videos for YouTube about 9-11. And uh, I contacted him and basically just said, Hey, I like what you're doing. The site looks great. Uh, I'm making videos kind of addressing debunkers too. Um, you know, if you want to take a look at them. And he got back to me and looked at it and he liked what I was doing too and said, yeah, I'll post him at the site if uh, that's okay. I said, sure. And eventually he asked me, uh, you know, do you want to write for the site? I thought, yeah, I could, I could do that. I've never written for a website or a blog before, but I, I can give that a shot. And uh, that was really kind of the, a big turning point in my uh you know, research in 9-11 and what I was doing as an activist, because I was basically, I think, at that point, trying to find kind of my niche in the truth movement. And I think the debunkers blog was absolutely my niche. I really feel like that's where I was supposed to be, because I, I think I wrote some of my best stuff about that uh, at that site. So I was really happy to find that and meeting John Michael. I got to be involved in 9-11 activism far more than I could have been otherwise. So, uh, yeah, it was it was great finding that site and writing for there for so many years. So did you you're writing for a blog that's addressing debunker flames. Uh, so do you think you prefer kind of uh, doing that addressing debunking rather than trying to persuade people by just presenting the evidence? Do you see that as a. Was it more fun, or do you think it was more effective to do things like that? Why, why do you think you preferred that? Well, I think actually doing that was a good way to present evidence. I think that I think that I did do that a lot in the post that I wrote. I think it accomplished two goals, actually. I think, on the one hand, we could address um, the claims debunkers were making, and at the same time present the evidence that we felt was compelling. Um, and a lot of good came out of that. I think. And just to be clear, it wasn't just debunkers that we were addressing on that blog. If you go on there, we've got, you know, tons of posts addressing uh, truthers, too, and claims that they've made that we felt weren't very good. So that's another thing about it. It was that was a really good way to, like I was saying before, weed out sort of the good evidence from the bad. So, yeah, I mean, we, we took to task uh, truthers, I'd say, just as much as debunkers. Um, it, that's really what the point of the blog was. It was really about weeding out the bad evidence and the good evidence, the good arguments, the bad arguments. And I think doing it that way allows us to do that uh, pretty effectively. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you know, the site's called 9-11 Debunkers, and it's, it's kind of not clear from the title whether you it's about 9-11 Debunkers or you are debunkers who talk about 9-11 because a lot of what you do essentially would be debunking. You'd be debunking the no plane things. You'd be debunking the, the Judy Woods stuff and, and you know, other, other theories like that. So you are a debunker in a way, but just with a different perspective. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of related to a lot of uh, people in the movement would say that the debunkers themselves are the uh, conspiracy theorists because they believe the government's conspiracy. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily like to get into the back and forth about who's the debunker, who's the conspiracy theorist. Um, I, I like to just say we're all 
researchers looking into 9-11 and we just come to different conclusions. That's how I prefer to look at it. So what, what do you think of, or what, what, back then, what did you think of the debunkers, like the people who were writing posts, like trying to debunk 9-11 truth uh, claims? Well, I thought um, in some cases uh, a lot of what they said was right. Like, I don't think everything every debunker said about 9-11 has been wrong. You know, I've had my mind changed uh, plenty of times by uh, arguments they presented. Um, I, I think that, you know, I may genuinely disagree with them about the conclusion, but, you know, I've learned from them, and I hope that to some degree they've learned from me, too. Um, I've actually seen uh, debunkers say they think that I got some stuff right that, uh, that I talked about. So, yeah, um, I... I don't have any ill will against any debunker. Like one of the things that I've made clear is I've never seen the debunkers as the enemies of the truth movement. The only people that I consider to be the enemies or the bad guys in this whole situation are the people that actually carried out the attacks, whoever they are. They're indisputably the bad guys, the people that are the enemies here. But the debunkers, um, I really have just tried to look at them as other researchers to just came to a different conclusion about 9-11 than I have. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, what about uh, the people who uh, make claims that kind of everybody, you know, the debunkers and and you, agree are wrong? Like the, you know, the more extreme, the no plane people. Mm-hmm. Do you think of them as being the bad guys? I mean, they're obviously not the bad guys because they didn't do anything, but they're they're not helping. Well, I I think they are just very very bad, very irresponsible researchers. That's kind of how I would phrase it. Uh, I do think that they did a lot of harm to the truth movement, potentially more harm than even debunkers have, just because a lot of these wacky theories that are out there, um, it's the kind of thing that, for one thing, the media preys upon when they want to try to discredit us. You know, they would point out, uh, like, for example, there was, I think, a couple of, uh, I think it was a BBC documentary, uh, The Conspiracy Files. Um, you know, they had like a big close up of a guy at ground zero with like a no planer shirt on or in, in a national geographic documentary, they had a close up of people holding up this big sign saying no planes at the towers. So I know that when these theories get brought up, the media oftentimes takes those and tries to like make it look like, you know, we're crazy. Like they don't differentiate between the people who, uh, are promoting those theories, promoting other theories. And that, that bothers me. That frustrates me a lot. I wouldn't call them enemies. I would just call them very irresponsible. I call them irresponsible conspiracy theorists. I think there's a responsible way to be a conspiracy theorist and irresponsible ways to be conspiracy theorists. And it's just trying to figure out, you know, who's who in that sense. Yeah, that's interesting what you say about the media, because it kind of bothers me as well. Uh, Like I write about the chemtrail conspiracy theorist and like everybody, every time it comes up in the media, uh, people will say, oh, these uh, people believe that, were being sprayed with mind-altering chemicals from the sky, uh, when hardly any of the chemtrail people actually believe that. That's kind of like the no-plane version of the chemtrail theory. Like the, the the most common thing of the chemtrail theory is that they think it's secret, uh, uh, secretly trying to uh, modify the climate. And so, if the, the, when the media or other debunkers uh, or the skeptics like, start putting out these extreme versions as being the straw man to attack then it, it really, you know, it, it hinders communication. It makes it hard for me to actually talk to people. Uh, you know, you've really got to figure out what the person you're talking to actually believes in rather than addressing some kind of caricature 
that they that you imagine they but they all believe in another thing i found really interesting about your your uh, your essay was your account of you going to new york in 2011 and for you it was like a very kind of almost like a, a powerful experience going to uh, go there and meet fellow activists for the first time so can you kind of tell us about and what happened there yeah that was a big deal because you know for the vast majority of my work in the truth movement i wasn't one of those people going out with like groups of people in the the black shirts like you know demonstrating out on the street like pretty much i was doing this all on my own for the most part like yes working with people on the blog and writing posts but as far as like going out and actually doing any kind of activist stuff i was pretty much doing it all on my own like i would you know, go to the store and buy, you know, reams of paper and ink for my printer to like make my own homemade pamphlets to try to hand out. Like that's pretty much it. Hmm. And then, um, me, John Michael and, uh, his wife, we went to New York in 2011 for the 10 year anniversary. And that was the first time I'd ever been to New York for one thing. And the first time I'd been to ground zero for nine 11, and it was, yeah, part of it was a really powerful experience to be there, like, with everybody, you know, demonstrating, uh, calling for a new investigation. But the other aspect to it was there was a little sense of, like, it didn't seem like the movement was going anywhere because, for one thing, the turnout was a lot smaller than I had seen in uh you know, I had seen videos of like the one, the ones from 2006 and 2007, there was like hundreds, if not thousands of people with those. And this one, there was like maybe a hundred, 200, something like that. It was a decent amount of people, but it wasn't anywhere near what they'd had in previous years. And for me, that was kind of a, you know, the first visual sign I'd seen that like the movement was really stagnating. Like it was losing real momentum. And, uh, and I, you know, I was even talking to people there who were still talking about really bad evidence, and that kind of filled me with more dread, where it felt like we weren't getting anywhere. So for me, like, in my post, I talk about how, you know, people have said the movement kind of peaked in 2006, and that might be the case, you know, because that was technically the biggest turnout in uh, 2006 for the, the five-year anniversary. But for me, I would say that was probably when it peaked, because that was sort of the the height of my truth or activism and how much I got involved. Um, and after that, it just felt like the momentum was steadily declining more and more. So it was unfortunate, but uh, I couldn't ignore the warning signs when they were there pretty much. So, so did, did things change for you after that because of that, when you saw that? Did you, or did, was that just kind of something you identify in the past as being a point when things changed? Um, I mean, it changed in the sense that like, like I myself personally had momentum up to that point. Like mm -hmm. I had still a passion to do it. And I think after that is just when that passion started to steadily decline. Like that was the point where my momentum certainly was going down just because I could see the momentum of the movement in total was going down. Um, like where I was kind of at at that point was I sort of knew that maybe like the activism aspect of the movement had kind of been going down since 2006 where I kind of had my hope set was in more of the academic aspect to it because, you know, the scientists in the movement had been getting papers actually published in peer reviewed journals at that point. And I was starting to think that, okay, maybe the activist, you know, side of it's not going to 
be the driving force, but it seems like in the academic community, we're making more progress and maybe that's where we'll, you know, have our next wave of momentum. I feel like the academic aspect of it was sort of the second wave of the truth movement in a sense. And that's sort of where I had my hopes set, but even that didn't seem like it was going anywhere because, you know, the, the active thermetic material paper that everybody I assume knows about that uh, was put out in 2009. That's like the closest that, you know, anyone had ever gotten to showing that there was actual explosives in the debris from ground zero. And then that didn't seem to be getting us anywhere to a new investigation. So, you know, seeing that even that, even like the, the academic aspect of it wasn't getting us any closer to a new investigation. That was also a point where it, it felt like, you know, we weren't getting anywhere with it, that we weren't going to get a new investigation you know, where I had my hopes set, even that wasn't working out. And so that was uh, kind of a main turning point for me, too. Why do you think that, uh, that the dust studies, these, these things where they found this uh, supposedly active thermitic material in the dust, why do you think that didn't get more play in, in academia with people who are interested in this type of thing? We had this, this uh, there's a couple of studies, I can't remember exactly how many, but uh, it was Dr. Jones. Uh, did this one, Stephen Jones, and he did some tests and you know, found some material which uh, he thought was uh, uh, not thermite exactly, but active thermitic material. He was a bit strange about what it was exactly. And then there was a kind of a counter study by um, uh, I can't remember, Millet. James, yeah. Jim, James Millet. Yeah. yeah. And then there was supposed to be another study after that, but it kind of never happened. And it just kind of petered out like nothing has really been done by it, but we still they still have this one or you know, a couple of studies from back then. Why why do you think nobody in the entire world has really been interested in in furthering this study? Well, I'm not exactly sure about that. I, it's maybe more than I can say. Um, I will say it's not that nobody's taken interest in it. Uh, I know that you know some scientists have commented on it. Um, as far as I know, James Millet is the only one that actually published a counter study um and his study as far as i know it's still online and freely available it wasn't ever submitted for peer review it was supposed to be and just it never was um i don't know if that had anything to do with kind of stagnating um the interest in the paper if people just heard there was a counter study that showed it was wrong um maybe that had something to do with it um I don't know. I, I don't know why the academic community didn't take more notice of it. Uh, I wish they had. Um, you know, maybe they did and just weren't convinced by it. But, you know, the fact is, there's the fact that there is currently no, you know, peer-reviewed refutation of that paper. Um, I mean, that is something that we can say. There was never any kind of discussion submitted of it. Uh, like I said, the Millet paper wasn't ever peer-reviewed. Um, so in that sense the peer review of that paper, I think, does stand. That doesn't mean it's right. I know peer review doesn't mean that it absolutely is right. It's just that as far as I can tell, it's gone unchallenged as far as, uh, you know, peer-reviewed standards go. But uh, but I don't know. I, I wish uh, the academic community, and granted, we needed more than just that. We needed, uh, you know, support of people with subpoena power to take notice of that too and use that to try to, you know, get us a new investigation. Yeah, I think like perhaps more more studies from uh, I don't know, neutral parties might be a good start. It's interesting. You mentioned like you know peer review studies don't 
necessarily mean something is true. And this is this is true. And I think this is a mistake. A lot of even like you know people who are scientific skeptics who pride themselves on being scientific, they're always saying like, you know, show me the peer reviewed studies. But uh, there's peer reviewed studies that uh, prove chemtrails exist. There's actually quite a few. There's about ten different papers uh, published uh, by this one guy. Uh, who somehow managed to uh, publish all these papers on chemtrails, and they are peer-reviewed uh, in in journals. And you know, it it doesn't necessarily mean something. You need multiple independent verifications of something uh, rather than simple peer review. Peer review, in a lot of cases, just means people read the paper and see if there's any you know, obvious mistakes that they can see personally. And uh, it, it, the, the the I think the quality of peer review probably varies a lot. Yeah, I'm not saying anything about Stephen Jones' paper specifically, but uh, certainly for this chemtrail paper, the peer review was not very good at all. Uh, so you mentioned uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and that you were kind of disappointed by what they did. And this uh, this architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth is, is headed by Richard Gage, an architect, uh, and he's collected a whole bunch of people who are either architects or engineers or various other people. And these are people who think that 9-11 was controlled demolition, essentially. And they've got this kind of I don't know, authority, I guess, in that they're all architects and engineers. And there's, they've got 3,000 people to sign a petition. But you say you were kind of uh, dismayed by the activities of architects and engineers by 9-11 Truth. I mean, obviously, you share goals. So what was it that what they did that uh, dismayed you? Um, it kind of goes back to my thing about my hope was in sort of the um, academic aspect of 9-11 that I was really hoping because we had so many experts that agreed with us, we'd be getting more detailed um, studies, you know, published in, you know, respectable scientific venues. Now, granted, a lot of that's been done. Um, we actually have a lot of, papers at this point published in peer-reviewed journals that uh, either directly or indirectly support controlled demolition, for example. But I would have just liked to have seen a lot more of that. Uh, like, one of the things I say in my post is, like, of, like, the, you know, 3,000 members they have, if just, say, a 100 of them each published a paper in a peer-reviewed journal or submitted it to a peer-reviewed journal, I know that because of the taboo nature of 9-11, um, and especially with the towers, I can see why it'd be really hard to get those kind of papers published and accepted. But if uh, if just a hundred did, if there was a hundred papers published in like a different journal by these people, odds are at least a few of them would get accepted and would get you know published, and that would get the attention of uh, you know more, pe- more people in the academic community, in the engineering community. Um, and some of that's been done. And uh, there have been cases where people in the movement have tried to submit papers to science journals, and they have been rejected for kind of these weird reasons, like the journals gave them these very odd excuses, like why they weren't going to publish them and why they weren't even going to review them. Like it's not even that they reviewed them and found that they just were bad papers and they were rejecting them. It was that they said these weird things about, oh, this is outside the scope of the journal that you're trying to publish in or, you know, this or that. So just some kind of odd reasons, which I think supports this idea that because of the tap of nature of it, that uh, some journals might be reluctant to even publish stuff like that. But like I said, because of just the, the numbers we have, if there was more of a, you know, uh, concentrated effort to get these things published, I think the odds are, yeah, we would get a lot, but, uh, 
you know, that just hasn't happened as much as I would like it to. Yeah, well, it's kind of you know up to the obviously up to the individuals to make that decision. But you know, from from my perspective, that kind of seems like evidence that the case isn't that strong. Because if the the case was a fairly strong case, wouldn't it be fairly straightforward to have hundreds of people writing papers explaining what the case was? Um, to an extent. Now, I will say that there is, uh, as far as I know, currently some work to get that done. Um, you know, I am, like I said, retired from the movement for the most part, but I've got, you know, friends on Facebook who are in the movement who post things about it. So I do keep up to date with what's going on. And from what I understand, there is somebody from architects and engineers who is actually going to be presenting a conference paper at an engineering conference, which that's great. Um, I think part of the problem too, is that maybe, a lot of this is kind of like, you know, a little late to the game. Like I, I would, in terms of like presenting an engineering paper at a, at a major conference, I would have much rather that happened, you know, like in 2006 or 2007 rather than 2019. Like I think uh, it would have been much better because that's another reason why I feel like there's stagnation in the movement is because uh, the more the years go on, the kind of the less interest people have in 9-11 and they have the mindset of, oh, that happened in the past, we need to move on from it. Um, it seems like this is something that we kind of needed to get a new investigation into pretty quickly, like it's a little sooner than, you know, the activities that are going on now. Like we might be at that point where even if we did have evidence uh, that would, you know, be conclusive, that itself might not get us a new investigation because the public interest has just gone down so much that nobody wants to even take up this issue anymore. Hmm. But surely if there was some conclusive evidence I mean that would be very difficult to ignore and um to a degree uh I would also would say we're at that point where a lot of the evidence sort of because of the years have gone on is not you know accessible to us anymore like one example is it'd be great to do more studies of like the dust from ground zero um, to see what's there. But because so many years have gone by, you know, obviously the wreckage has been cleared away. Um, I don't know because I'm not a, a chemist or an explosive expert, but a lot of the, even if there was explosive material there, um, it might have, you know, kind of deteriorated at this point. Like, we may not even be able to detect it, even if we had, like, access to more dust samples. So that's the other thing, too, is just like the you know, expiring of the uh, evidence might be going on to an extent too, to where no matter what we want to look into, the evidence is just, it's just gone. We don't have access to it anymore and have no way of getting access to it. So I do think that as far as getting a new investigation, it's something that it, if it was going to happen, I think it needed to happen a lot sooner than, than later, basically. Mm -hmm. There's some things that you personally, I think, consider to be fairly, uh, uh, absolute evidence, like things like the the speed at which the buildings collapsed. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you, you feel more strongly about uh, the towers or Building Seven, but you know, wouldn't you personally say that that's conclusive evidence that it was not a fire and impact driven collapse? Well, um, I would say that the rate of the collapses, and I do think that is indicative of demolition, uh, probably more for Building 7 than for the towers, because, you know, everybody knows Building 7 came down in free fall for uh, 100 stories for a few seconds. 
Um, so I do think that's pretty conclusive. Um, but I would say that tentatively, like I personally have not seen a good explanation for that yet. Um, you know, like I'll say it here. If you ask me, am I like a hundred percent certain the towers were demolished? I would say no. Mm-hmm. I think it's very likely, but I'm certainly open to the notion that they weren't. Uh, I just haven't seen conclusive arguments or evidence to you know convince me otherwise. Um, but I certainly feel like I can have my mind changed. But you would also, I guess, the flip side of that is that you haven't seen conclusive evidence that proves that it is or has convinced you that it is. If you still... Yeah. I have not seen a good explanation, for example, that explains how Building 7 could have come down, for example, um, in terms of how it collapsed at the rate it did and how the building itself uh, behaved. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'll just give one example real quick if I can. Sure. So um, the explanation I've usually heard for why Building 7 collapsed as quickly as it did um, for free fall and even after that is because what we're seeing in the videos is just the outer shell of the building collapse Mm -hmm. uh, and that the interior is what collapsed first. And then what you had was basically the shell of the building. And that's basically what NIST says about the collapse. They say that you had this uh, progressive collapse going across um, where the the interior collapsed first and then you see the perimeter falling down. Um, And that would explain why it collapsed as quickly as it did. But the problem I have with that is if the interior is collapsing before the exterior, why don't we see, you know, these large deformations in in deformity in the shell itself as the interior is coming down? And that's a problem that not even just uh, people in the truth movement have, even debunkers have had that. Uh, Dr. Frank Greening, for example, if you're familiar with him, he uh, wrote uh, a paper to uh, NIST. It was feedback on their draft report for uh, their Building 7 report. And he said that, yeah, the interior, you know, is connected to the exterior by dozens of girders and beams. And we should have seen all this, you know, deforming happening uh, on the outside of it. But we don't see that. Um, And then I hear people say, and I think it was even NIST who said this and and some debunkers that, well, it's because, you know, the outer shell was, uh, you know, sturdy and strong enough to not deform as the interior was coming down. But I hear that and think, but wait, you're also saying that the exterior was weak enough, then that's why it allowed it to collapse as quickly as it did. So it's like, you can't argue that the exterior was both strong and weak. You can't say that it was strong enough to avoid deforming as the interior was coming down, but also say it was weak enough that it allowed the building to collapse as quickly as it did, you know, for, for two and a half seconds uh, in total freefall. So that's a bizarre contradiction that I don't see a good explanation for. Right. Um, as far as why the building collapsed the way it did, like it seemed like the building kept its shape pretty well, like aside from the kink as it was collapsing. Um, it seemed like it kept its shape pretty well as it was collapsing. And, you know, I've seen that happen, and that's in buildings that have you know, been brought down to demolition. I've seen demolitions where when the building comes down, it kind of keeps its shape for the most part, you know, as it's collapsing. So that's one way that that can happen. And that seems consistent uh, with a demolition when I look at building seven. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, but your description there of your, your objections to the, the, the argument. Uh, and I don't want to, I mean, it, it sounds like 
If you have a better explanation. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't really have a better explanation. My explanation is the same. It's that the exterior of the building is a moment-resisting uh, frame, which means that all the connections are bolted in all directions so that the, nothing can bend no matter which way, whereas the interior connections are only uh, basically supporting connections. Uh, they support the vertical load of the building, and they support the the floors on these on the shelves or the various connections that they have. So when the columns collapse in the middle of the building, uh, that falls down and it kind of the floors kind of pivot around the exterior uh, connections, and then they kind of flop down. And the exterior connection, because it's moment resisting, because it's you know, resisting turning forces, uh, it doesn't it doesn't twist inwards. Where the, the interior is collapsed because you know its its strength is being removed, like the columns, the support strength. And then when it when it falls, it's kind of in a way like what they do with a controlled demolition, in that they blow out a number of sections of the of the building, and then the building will collapse from from the bottom bottom down. The bottom it falls into the bottom essentially. Uh, except that what happened here was that the the building uh, kinked, the exterior of the building kinked at the bottom, and that kink kind of progressed all the way around, and the building just kind of fell more or less straight down because it had no supporting strength, and it which went dum 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 down the bottom. Right. Uh, and that you know, it it makes sense to me. But you know, both of us we just gave explanations of of things, but they're only based on on words. It's a verbal description. And you can say, oh, here's a description of what happens, but it doesn't make any sense that you know that would be strong enough, or it wouldn't be strong enough, or whatever. Or, or I'm saying it does make sense. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what you've really got to do is do the math and the physics. You've got to actually work it out. I don't think you're ever going to convince people based on these verbal descriptions. Sure, and, and that's a fair point. Um, I will just say, uh, I'm not sure people can find it. If people want to read uh, Dr. Frank Greening's uh, paper that he wrote as a critique of the NIST report. Um, they can probably find it somewhere online. Um, I probably reference it somewhere on my old blog. Uh, if people are interested and want to go to my old blog, I don't write there anymore, but it's uh, adamtaylor42.blogspot.com, and they can find that. if uh, They can find all my writings on 9-11 um, if they would like to. Uh, they're so inclined to check it out. Like I said, I don't write there anymore, but um, I'm still – you know, pretty happy with what I wrote there and, uh, you know, can vouch for most of it. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, some people have put forward these numbers that show that the building is really not collapsing in a consistent way. Like you're saying that the moment resisting of the structure, that that itself would allow it to avoid forming, but still allow it to collapse as quickly as it once, does. Once it did actually lose its strength, because it, it has to reach a point of failure. Uh, and I think if the, the interior of the building was pulling in the walls, it would fail at that point. So it's kind of like, you know, you're standing on a soda can and it's able to support your, your weight, but mm-hmm. when you just push it, push the wall in a little bit and it collapses. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like essentially the same thing to me, except it's just right down at the bottom. And obviously there's the issues of scale, which, you know, change the equation. But essentially I think that's what happened to the exterior of the, the building. Yeah, I, I just find it hard to believe that all of that is going on inside the building. And, you know, for the most part, we see no, aside from some windows breaking, because we do see that. Um, I find it hard to believe that you don't see any kind of 
you know, deformities happening. I believe Dr. Greening said that what you should see is like a, uh, you know, the exterior actually kind of bowing as a result of that, which I think you can actually see in one of uh, NIST's computer models that there actually is, as the building comes down, this kind of bowing that happens at the top of it. So that would be consistent with, uh, with that as well. There's an interesting thing I saw on video, uh, it's probably like a year ago, I, I noticed it, and other people noticed it too, is that when the penthouse uh, falls down, you can actually see like a wave go all the way down through the visible, visible portion of the building, like the penthouse is falling from the top to the bottom. Yeah, I've seen videos people have done where they kind of take a video and they like color enhance it so you can actually see the penthouse yeah. going yeah, all the way down to it. Yeah. Um, so I, I've seen that too. So yeah, I, I think the penthouse, I don't see how it couldn't either. I'm sure it is going all the way down to the to the bottom yeah. of it. But then you've got other people like uh, Tony Samboti uh, who says that that didn't happen and the penthouse just fell down a couple of floors because you know, it, it wouldn't work. Yeah. And, and I heard that from him too. And I think I thought at the time he had something there. Um, but then I saw like videos people had done where they could show it. And uh, his whole thing was, he was just saying that because you didn't see sunlight coming through the windows, you saw sunlight coming through the top portion where um, it had fallen, but you don't see it further down. So that's what he was basing that off of. And maybe he's wrong about that, but I don't think that's, um, you know, an irrational thing to conclude if you uh, base it off something like that. Now we could probably uh, go with the details endlessly, but uh, yeah, <laughs> let's kind of carry on like uh, with your your kind of story here. Well, actually, you mentioned the uh, the University of Alaska study real real quick. Uh, do you know much about that? This is something uh, a study funded by architects and engineers for nine eleven truth to uh, to demonstrate what might have been the cause of the collapse of Building Seven. Yeah, I've looked at that a little bit. Um, I know they still have not published the final mm-hmm. version of it, which is another thing that's kind of bugged me. Um, I, I've given them a little bit more leeway on it just because I know this is a big project. And I also feel like people shouldn't be too harsh on that because when you look at how long it took uh, NIST to get their Building 7 report out, you know, that was a whole big thing too that uh, NIST kept setting dates for when they'd release it and then they didn't release it and I you know this is kind of the same case here and I think they're supposed to the next date of release they said is uh, this September I, I hope it gets released um, yeah I think I'd like to see it around the anniversary uh, again yeah so I, I hope that gets released yeah. and I, I kind of have the same conclusion about that as I have about uh, other aspects of the movement is if it gets done uh, great, but you know, until I see it, I- I'm not gonna get my hopes up. It's very much a you know, show me the money kind of thing. Like I want to see the actual words on the page. I want to see this thing actually yeah. almost out there. Um, it looks promising, but I can't say for sure unless they actually put out a final version of it. It will be very interesting because it is kind of putting numbers to the you know the discussion we just had there. Like you know, could it mm-hmm. possibly happen? So they they did various uh, tests. Uh, I kind of feel like there, uh, Professor Hulsey is a little bit biased towards the uh, uh, controlled demolition hypothesis, but you know we, we'll wait and see, see what the actual uh, study itself shows. That might be, and I think it's a good thing they're doing what NIST did, and it's going to be uh, available for public comment that 
you know, regardless of whatever biases the researchers involved in it might have, at least everybody will get to, you know, submit comments on it. Yeah. Um, I'll read it when it comes out yeah, and uh, maybe, maybe even submit my own comments. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing that they, they started out with more promises of openness than uh, they actually kind of ended up doing. They, uh, I think it was like almost three years ago now they started it and they had some videos of the, the two graduate students and Professor Halsey talking about uh, their work and then just nothing, nothing. It was like complete silence after that for the next uh, three years. He did one presentation uh, doing a summary, uh, but it, they didn't really, I think involved the community in the way that they said they were going to do at the start, which is a bit disappointing, but you know, we'll, we'll read the report when it comes out. Right. So, uh, let's get to your, your kind of, uh, Ryan Mackey. Uh, he had a paper on analyzing the truth movement and you, you, you know, you obviously disagree with a lot of it, but you, you, there's one suggestion of his, that you kind of took to heart, which was uh, take a break. Uh, yes. So what happened there? Well, um, like I said, uh, I read his paper, and, you know, some of it I don't agree with, some of it I thought, you know, he made good points, and that was a good point because he put that paper out in 2011. Uh, I can't remember if it was before or after I went to Ground Zero, but, um, you know, it was around – it was at around the same time that I was kind of having this feeling of, uh, you know, like I said, the stagnation in the truth movement, that the momentum was going down. It didn't seem like we were going to like actually accomplish our goals and get an investigation. And, you know, I thought his suggestion about like just walking away, taking a break from it and just see how you feel about it was a good one. You know, I mean, he's right in the paper when he says, he suggests like taking a month off from it. And he's right when he says, yeah, there's no harm in just taking a month off from it. Um, and I did, and I took like several months off, you know, from time to time. And, you know, it was fine. I never had an issue with, uh, walking away from it for a bit or even coming back to it. Um, you know, it didn't really have much of a, I didn't feel like I was like addicted, like, Ooh, I have to get back into this. You know, I can't stand to be away from, uh, this research. Um, no, I, I felt fine, and I think it was it was good for me, you know, in those periods of just stepping away and uh, focusing on other things in my life, uh, things I'm even doing now, like I'm focusing on more things. Um, you know, I, I still fully 100% support a new investigation of the attacks. Like, I absolutely do. I, I want to see that happen. Uh, I would love to see that be the case so we can really get justice for all the people who were killed that day and all of their friends and family. Um, but, you know, I, I have to be realistic about it, and I have to say to myself, if it doesn't seem like we're getting a new investigation, we're probably not getting a new investigation. So you know, that's something that I you know, had to come to accept and I, I do accept. And I do think at this point, unless something really big happens, unless there's some real big thing that can kind of reignite that momentum in the truth movement, I just don't see how we're going to get a new investigation based on what we've currently got. You said that, uh, uh, researching nine 11 took a toll on you. Uh, can you speak about that and how, as, as, is it better now? Like, do you, do you, is your life better because you're not spending so much time doing this nine 11, uh, investigation? Um, I don't know if I would say better. Like, I don't think my life was 
worse for looking into 9-11. I want to emphasize that. Like, mm. I actually am very grateful that I got involved, uh, you know, the way I did. Um, I met a lot of amazing people. I learned an enormous amount uh, about not just 9-11, but a lot of related subjects. Like, it really, you know, led me into looking into um, a lot of other, like, bigger world issues, which I think was a good thing for me to do. So I'll make that very clear. I don't regret at all getting involved in the truth movement. Uh, I do think it was a rewarding experience, and I felt like it was a good cause to uh, to work towards. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where you do it for so long, and especially if you don't see any progress getting, getting made, uh, yeah, it can take a toll on you. You kind of realize, you know, there's a point where you realize, yeah, maybe I am – I don't say wasting time on it necessarily, but you know, I, I have a lot of potential to do other things as well that I could be putting my time into. Um, there's still a lot of big issues going on in the world, obviously. And one of the things I say in my post is that what I think people in the movement should be doing if they're not looking into 9-11 is just trying to work towards any other cause in the world and trying to, I think very importantly help to prevent the next nine elevens from happening. You know, I really think that if we put in as much effort as was put into to kind of, you know, make sure that these sort of attacks don't happen again. And I think to an extent, um, you know, if there's any lasting impact the movement had, I like to think that, you know, we did at least, you know, did raise the public's, you know, awareness a little bit that at the very least we planted more seeds in people's heads that when these kind of events happen, we should be more skeptical of it, more skeptical of it. Not to assume that like every attack is, you know, an inside job, obviously, but just look at things with a more objective eye, like really look at both sides more objectively and not just accept everything the government says. Um, and I think that, you know, we did do that. Uh, I, I hope that is the, you know, Absent getting a new investigation, I hope that is the benefit that the movement brought the world that, uh, you know, we did do some, you know, you know, awareness and consciousness rising and everything to kind of help people along in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think asking questions is always good. I, 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 I'm not comparing you to the flat earthers, but the flat earthers are interesting in that they get int people interested in science. And that you know it actually prompts some some thought. If people are asking questions, no matter what they're asking mm -hmm. questions, if they if they're approaching it in an honest way, as this is a question, and I want to figure out what the answer is, and then you learn things, and uh, it's it's good. You were you were very young though when you started uh, your nine eleven. Uh, you were sixteen when you you first kind yeah. of got into it. What effect mm -hmm. do you think that had on on how you kind of I don't know got into the movement? Like looking back now as an older man? Well, um, I certainly wish I had gotten involved. For one thing, I wish I had gotten involved or could have gotten involved sooner than I did because getting involved in 2007, like I said, that was kind of the point where I'd say objectively the movement kind of peaked. It would have been great to be doing stuff like prior to 2007. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was just too young you know like i said i was 10 when the attacks happened so there just was no way for me to really do that um i would love it if somehow i can go back in time and do more uh, as i am now because i'm certainly better informed uh, i have a better idea of like the the evidence 
a lot of theories I used to believe in when I first started out that I don't believe anymore. You know, there's certainly things that I wish I could go back and change as far as like what I did. Um, I don't regret how I handled it because I really did try. And working with uh, my friend John Michael Talbot at the Debunkers blog was really beneficial too because he put me on kind of the right path to how to look at things more objectively and to research uh, these topics better. Like that, like I said, that was really good in helping me weed out the good information from the bad information. And that's something that we really prided ourselves at at the Debunkers blog. Like we really tried, myself, John Michael, and the other posters who were there, we really tried to look at everything as objectively as we could and do the most responsible research that we could. Uh, and I'm, and I'm happy with the work I did. You know, I, I am happy with, um, at least what I was able to do. You know, um, I wish I had the, uh, you know, the funds and the, the team that something like a nine 11 truth has, uh, I'd be doing things differently if I did, but, um, I don't have that, but just based on what I had access to, I was, uh, happy with the work that I did. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of stuff are you doing now? Uh, that what's 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 taken the place of nine uh, eleven activism for you? Um, honestly, nowadays I'm just kind of trying to live a normal life as much as I can. Um, you know, just working. Uh, I'm working on a book currently. Um, okay. Interesting uh, book on religion. Uh, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a religious skeptic, so I, I like to look into stuff like that nowadays. So that's kind of a project I'm focusing on now that uh, I have more time to focus on. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that uh, not having 9-11 in my life anymore, at least not you know investigating it and researching it to the extent that I did, uh, it hasn't negatively impacted me at all. Like I'm just, just trying to live a normal life for the most part. Um, I don't feel this you know need to go back to it because... Uh, I'll say that the movement is not going to stand or fall based on me. There's so many people in it that it's not going to make a difference if I'm in it or not. Uh, I'd like to contribute if I can, but I think I've pretty much done what I can do at this point. There's not much more I can do that's going to, you know, lead us into a new investigation. Right. All right. Well, kind of closing out, like if someone was, um, you know, a young person was interested in 9-11 now, would you give them any advice or point them in a specific direction? Um, a, a young person, as far as like somebody maybe like my age when I got involved yeah, in the truth movement, sixteen, 16 yeah. yeah. Um, I would say if that's something that you want to do, by all means. Like, I'm not going to tell you how to run your life, what to do. I would recommend not getting involved in that at least at this stage, only because there are so many other issues that we have to deal with in the world right now. Mm. Um. And I don't think it's, like I said, it's not going to be up to, I think, the common person to get the new investigation. I think we can certainly help, you know, like any person, no matter who you are, the, the, the common person can make a difference in the world, absolutely. But, you know, there's obviously people who have access to more material and has more capabilities than the average person, like the bigger groups in the truth movement. And it's really going to be up to them. And if you see them and you see that they're making the kind of progress that you think they should be making and you want to get involved, by all means. If you're like me and you look at them and think they're not really doing um, the work they should be doing and you think it's a lost cause, then I'd say, you know, focus on other things. Um, try to do what you can in the world, uh, but try to enjoy your life too. 
Um, the only uh, real regret I take away from it all is just knowing we won't get a new investigation. That saddens me immensely, just thinking about uh, all the people who died that day and all the people who lost loved ones that day. You know, That's been the biggest thing for me. The whole reason that I wanted to look into this was seeing um, how many problems there were and how badly this affected the people who were you know, most affected by that day, the family members, people who lost loved ones that day. Um, it saddens me immensely that they're not going to get closure to this. Uh, and then that's the big regret I take away from it. Uh, I wish, you know, those people could get the justice they want to see. It just seems like we're not going to get that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I see you're, uh, you, you do post things about uh, the first responder things like the John Stewart uh, effort to get yes, that. And that's, that's great. Yeah. It's very, very real issue, uh, regardless of what your uh, beliefs are about what happened that day. You know, obviously, those people were hurt, and uh, they deserve to be taken care of. Which is Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, have you got uh, anything else you want to talk about, or? Uh, um, nothing. Uh, nothing to plug. I'll say. <laughs> uh, like I said before, if people want to uh, look at my past writings on nine eleven, they can go to my old blog. That's uh Adam Taylor four two the numbers four and two uh, dot blogspot.com. I've got uh, in the sidebars all my writings about nine eleven and some other interviews I've done about nine eleven. Um, if you want to go look, if you're so inclined, uh, by all means. Like I said, I don't post there anymore, but uh, yeah, for the most part, I can still vouch for what I have on that site. Um, it's just not my primary interest nowadays. Uh, you know, yeah. just trying to live a normal life and enjoy it as much as I can. Right. Well, well, thank you very much. This has been really interesting. Uh, it was a great, great discussion. And, uh, I think your story is very interesting. And, you know, we, obviously we disagree on, uh, uh, quite a variety of things, I'm sure. But, uh, I think we and also that's agree. Okay. I think we also, that's we, perfectly fine. yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's fine to disagree. Uh, if you do it in a, in an honest way. And I think mm-hmm. we both want, we both have a goal of removing, uh, the things that are definitely false. We just uh, kind of di- disagree on where we draw the line. We both want to get rid of those no-planers. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we draw the line in, on, in, on other matters. All right. Well, thank you very much, Adam.